All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have the legendary Ivan Julian. Ivan is a singer, songwriter, guitarist, producer, engineer. He was a founding member of the band The Voidoids, Richard Hell and The Voidoids. He's recorded and toured with The Clash, um, Bernie Worrell, The Foundations, just to name a few. The creative journey involves a lot of inconsistent consistencies, right? You have a gig, then you don't have a gig. I'm a guitar player, now I'm a bass player. And part of making it through and being fully immersed in it is that flexibility and the willingness to be flexible and the willingness to take any position creatively that you're in to make the most of it. And when a lot of people dive into it, they want to do one thing, but that's not how you're going to sustain in an environment that's ever-changing. And Ivan, in his career, and his journey, is a shining example of how to handle those endless changes. For example, not only does Ivan play music, he also teaches it. And he also runs a studio, Super Giraffe Sound Recording, out of New York City, and teaches those techniques as well. So there's always more than one aspect to whatever you do when you're in a creative endeavor. Um, one cool way to kind of get in the world of Ivan Julian is there's this really cool documentary on Amazon called You Don't Know Ivan Julian. And you can see the studio and see the process and see the multiple aspects to the creative journey. Ivan also has a new album coming out. It's called Swing Your Lanterns. We're going to listen to a track off it. This is Swing Your Lantern Low off Swing Your Lanterns by Ivan Julian. Lantern Low by Ivan Julian. The album is called Swing Your Lanterns, available now on all streaming platforms. It's an amazing record. It takes all sorts of like 
uh, turns musically and uh, like music styles and different approaches, but you can all you can hear this extremely unique essence that's Ivan in all of this, and that's that's I think that's the beauty to his playing in all his recordings. Is there something that's uniquely Ivan? Anyway. Before we get into it, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Ivan and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ivan Julian. Well, um, I wanted to start off with a, a Cleveland question. Did you uh, know, working with Richard, did you ever meet uh, Peter Loftner? Peter Loftner? Yeah. God. Um... Where would I have met him? He was a singer songwriter, and he uh he was friends with Richard Hell, and uh, he would go back and forth from Cleveland to New York. So I imagine it, around Richard, but yeah, this I mean this was probably before the Voidoids, you know? Okay, okay. Because um when the Heartbreak the Heartbreakers went to Cleveland a lot as as far as far as I know, and um he probably met him during that period I would think because that name sounds familiar, but I don't believe I met him. My memories kind of okay you know (laughs) (laughs) that's all okay cool cool like um yeah he's like a he brought punk to cleveland and like i've been trying to like ask a bunch of people that kind of knew him or knew of him and like get like a little bit of like an oral history because there really isn't too much he died when he was like 24 so there wasn't too much yeah um about him but he also he was like in perubu and stuff and like um the, the dead boys but uh, or like was adjacent to adjacent to. He was in the Dead Boys. No, uh, they they were in a band before and they broke up. Oh, and gotcha. One half yeah, of it formed that. the Dead Boys, another half formed Perubu. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you know Tony Mamoni? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in touch with him these oh, days. Oh yeah. Very yeah, cool. um, it's funny because we've always kind of known of of each other, but he came came to my studio the other day. We chatted. It was really great because um, uh, what brought that on? I ran into him on the street and then he invited me to a gig. I've never seen this guy play bass. He's amazing. Yeah. You know, he's like amazing, you know, and, and a, in a great way, you know what I mean? He just puts stuff into the song that like it helps develop the song. It's it's so cool. It's So you ran, what was the gig? Oh, what was he? He was playing with some woman from a, um, a Bedouin woman from Morocco. And, you know, um, and um, uh, also, um, yeah, he was playing with her and, and like he was doing all this like Arabic stuff and um oh there's this artist too whose name I can't remember right now. God, it'll, it'll come to me. Um that that he that he plays with as well. Um and yeah, yeah, I mean I saw him at two gigs actually. I mean and each time I was I was blown away because uh, I, I you know I, I, great it's not that he was fast or, or you know played a lot of licks or anything. It's just his feel and his presence on stage that's amazing. Right. Well, and there's like a different like uh, a rhythm section that like serves the song, and like those are always minute ways that you know a drummer or a bass player will do that. That really like brings everything out, you know. Um, and that you know what I've been listening to lately is Blood on the Tracks. Oh yeah, nice. And that if and you should listen to that rhythm section because they really make the album. Right. You know, not yeah. to mention the fact that the bass drum is mixed way up high in the mix. But I mean, you know, because Dylan's kind of doing his his straight thing, but the bass player's leading him into it. It's it's really they're they're really great. And I you know I've listened to that album a lot over the years, of course, but I just kind of realized this. That's one thing with like with Dylan or with like Coltrane or the more you dive into uh, any of the records, like other stuff comes out, you know, and like especially stuff like that. And I imagine as like a producer and running a studio, you notice that working on stuff. Like how those different instruments like really bring, and as a musician, but you know, at like little things like a walk-in lick can be a whole like game changer of a song. Yeah, true, true. I mean, for instance, I mean, there's one song on my new record. I had four bass players come in before I was happy with what they were doing. Yeah, you know, yeah, <clears throat> because I mean, they just didn't get the nuance. You know, they spent too much time telling me how much they deserved to get paid. <laughs> 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 the new record's awesome, by the way. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm I'm proud of this one. I think it came out really well. Um, <laughs> Love is good is one a tune that uh, really stuck out to me. Like, and it's really as far as like going through a um, 
the last record and this record, it really sticks out with like the organ and everything. Like as far, did you write that on organ? Did I want? Uh, Love is good. Did you write that on organ or piano? I wrote it. Funny you should say it was. Yeah, I guess it was piano, and then I decided to do organ fills okay. on it. You know, but it was really piano. I, I wrote it on. And then that's why the rhythm guitar part is kind of really sparse. You know, it's like um, whenever I have someone play it live, it's going to look just like strum, strum, you know, and let everybody else do everything, you know. So, yeah, I wrote it, wrote it on piano. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of that, that kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, dare I say Booker T type you know, organ fills or better yet, Sly Stone. You know? Right, right. Well, you know, it kind of bounces off with like the Dylan thing. Like there's a lot of like piano bringing out those chords in a way like. It brings like a different like impact to it. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. I mean, this is just my opinion. It's really just my opinion. But there's two of those. There's two versions of that album. You know, the one he did first. You, you probably heard that, and then the one that Columbia. I see why he did it over again because the organ player on the first one, he's just like, I don't know, he's he's doing all this Broadway shit. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like idiot yeah. wind. It's like no man, just chill. Just, you know chill for a second yeah yeah it doesn't like it illustrates like every point to uh like how you said a broadway a show a showman way which is not as much a i mean the words do that i guess is for dylan you know Um, yeah yeah exactly so you don't need all that other other information that's the other thing about hiring keyboard players it's like I, I will never hire a keyboard player that has to use all 10 fingers at once. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and some of them are like that, especially the ones that have gone to the uh, classically trained at Juilliard or something. They're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, just bang. Just hit the fucking yeah. chord. You know? Well, it's like with, with any, like uh, the, the serve, the song is almost, it's, it's minimal things. And like, that's when you really know a, a seasoned, I guess a studio musician or seasoned songwriter or, or even you know, I mean, it's like it's different live. You can add some more spice to it, but like when you're when you're trying to really capture what it is and serve the song, it's not. You don't uh, potatoes don't cover the whole plate. I guess I don't know. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 so it's so true. I mean, and um, you you have to have the the ears. I mean, as Miles says, no no not when to play. You know, as opposed to when to play. You know. Right. You know what you don't play is just as important. It's true. Right, right, and that's I think one of those things you only learn the um, the more you do it, and the more you've done too much. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I should have held back. <laughs> yeah, or the, or the more you listen to stuff, and you go, yeah. wait, there's there's hardly anything going on here. You know, um, there's one of my favorite songs is um, um, she's my girl by the T- Turtles. Right, and um, there's there's one verse. I think in every verse there's only one guitar hit. It just goes plank. Listen to that sometimes. And that's it. <laughs> that's all the guitar does. It's so great. Well, that's it. You've heard exactly what it's going to do. It's that's like a the whole Victor Wooten idea of it being kind of a conversation, is like when you you know what I mean like I think you get more out of listening to a conversation than maybe you would trying to fumble your way through uh, having an opinion in the moment on something you're just being exposed to. I agree. Um, I agree. I mean, actually, I've taught as well. I taught. Um, yeah post-production audio to film students, you know, and I, I tell them you, you cannot hear and talk at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you can't (laughs) listen and talk at the same time. It's just how it works, you know? (laughs) Was it a, and you know, sound production, I did a, I did a Foley lesson with my, uh, with my class during uh, Halloween, you know, I I queue up an old, an old horror movie and I have a, I have a, a junkie theremin, you know, it's just like a box with an antenna. Um, and like, we queue up like an old Nosferatu scene and we record all the sounds that aren't there. And like, it just puts in perspective like how much uh, sound production, not just musically, but also when it comes to all the sounds you hear, especially in a thing like a, a cartoon or something that isn't there. Like, how much rhythm goes into that, how much like you have to think about certain things and how, it, how fun it gets to be when you get to experiment with like, oh, if I move paper, it sounds like this or whatever. Um, so how'd you get into, how'd you get into teaching that? Um, a friend got me into it, to teaching at this uh, film school called New York Film Academy. Um, and I, you know, I was, you know, in town and, um, he goes, why don't you come do this? And I, 
uh, and I, I'd done, I'd, I'd written um, for Oprah's network and I, you know, I scored uh, TV stuff for a while. And so I thought, you know, let me try it. And then when I did it, I thought, ooh, you know, this is a gig, but it's, you know, the worst venue in town. And, and but then I realized, wait, don't be an, don't be an asshole. All you have to do is stand up here and tell people what you know. So it's not so bad, you know. And I, t- I came, I came to really like it. So that's that's how I got into it. Yeah, I mean, and it, with with Oprah's network, we I scored this thing called Reality Chick, that was um, a pregnant superhero. It was a cartoon, and it was so much fun. It's like because every episode, you know, demanded something different. They said, okay, we need a disco song for this. And I'm like, what? A disco song. So all of a sudden, they're like, boom, 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 boom. It was like it was, it was hilarious. Really, kind of, you know, testing the limits of what you think you can do. You know, right? Well, and the and have to do it on a turn of a coin. You know, and like, because when it, when you boil it down to like a cartoon form, it's almost like a, or just like a, a brief moment of a thing. You really gotta capture the essence of like a style or a <laughs> or a genre, which goes back to like that critical kind of listening of what really is this. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, there was another episode where they wanted a Dallas type theme song, like the TV show Dallas, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, whatever that was, that thing with the strings and all that. So, yeah, I mean, and we came up with that. It's like it, 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 I, I, it's, you know, if it's like this, okay, you're a writer, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, like, as far as like teaching, what, um, was it kind of like the hump of that? Like, was there the, the challenge of that? Was that just working with like students and trying to get like, because there's like, it's almost like this block where you have, how do you like get this thing into their heads, right? And like, I found myself like with the kiddos I work with, like really like, uh, like color coding and making, trying to boil everything down to like a real simple point, you know, like mm-hmm. and trying to disguise everything as like fun and easy. Um, even though it may not be and like, you know what I mean? Like, did you, like, how'd you kind of come over, uh, reaching the kids <laughs> or I shouldn't say well, cause kids, I would, too. I would give them a clip. I mean, my, one of my favorites is I, I gave them a gun smoke clip, that old TV, uh, black and white TV show. And I have them write, record the script of this, of this knife fight that's going on in the middle of the street in the daytime and then sound design it. And I said, you can make this, they can be, they're kind of, you know, shit talking to each other. You can make it about anything you want, you know, anything. I mean, they could be, t- you know, fighting about each other's jewelry. I don't care. It's like just have fun. And that's, how, you know, and then when they start doing it and actually creating the soundscape, they, they, they you can't stop them. It's a, they just get into it, you know? Right. So it's just, it's the jumping in. It's the jump. That's awesome. Yeah. And I also explained to them that this is like, okay, you, if you have a movie, I mean, these are film students. So I said, if you have a movie, okay. And you have bad, you know, color correction. Everyone will stay and watch the movie. Okay. If there's like kind of weird edits, everybody will stay and watch the movie. If they can't hear what's going on, they're walking out. Even if it's a foreign film, even, even if it's subtitles, you know, they're, they're, no one's tolerating that. So that's why you got to get this right. And it's a whole, like, another, one thing that always fascinated me with that is I, I had a friend who, uh, who made his own film. And they, they put everything together and they, they did it all on their own. And they did it in a 2020 so when everything was shut down, when it came down to sound design, they've never they've recorded in uh, music, but they've never like and you know they've mixed music, but they've never mixed like um, a scene where like you know what I mean like where someone's walking in a room and like it's such a different um, uh, sonic space too. Like, what are some uh, similarities from like mixing like a band compared to like a to, like a scene that you find overlaps? Well, I mean, I, I, I more find the differences because, I mean, a, a mentor of mine told me when I first started out, he goes, okay, the music should always be 35% lower than you think it should be because the, the, the video is, is you know, the, the image is the star of the show, okay, for the, for the most part. I mean, unless you're making a music video, of course. And um, with, with and, and I tell them, like, we you know, because I have kids, you know, like, are you know, or had kids that like, you know, want to mix music and all that. And I said, well, here you have, you know, so many instruments constantly making sounds that kind of are covering up everything. And in terms of, uh, of an image, okay, it's just stark. It's like either, the, you know, and, and the dialogue rules, everybody has to hear the dialogue. You can't have a big bass sound, you know, something when you can't hear somebody scream, run, run, running from a bomb or whatever, you know? So, I mean, I, I think I, I try to tell them that like, 
you know, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's different, um, you know, mixing, mixing for film because it's just a blank canvas, you know, and, and from an audio perspective, and you have to carefully place everything in the camp in the canvas. Mm. That's cool. That's cool. It's, it, it, I don't know, it's fascinating because I never, until they started working on that film, I never thought about it, you know? Uh, yeah, well, you don't, you don't. I mean, that's the same here. It's like, I mean, because I've mixed music my whole life. I mean, but when it comes to, you know, like someone walking into a room and then coming up to a table and putting down a fort or something, you know, and you have to make all that happen. It, there's a lot of dynamics that go into it, you know? Yeah. Um, what got you into like building amps? Um. Actually, I build tube compressors. Um, I, I can fix amps. Uh, two things got me into that. I was on the road with Matthew Sweet. Um, <laughs> um, I had this girlfriend. I was really trying to behave, so I had to find something <laughs> to occupy my time. So I found a schematic for an LA-2A. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, this doesn't look that hard because I could read schematics. you know. And how I got into that was um, I took an amp of mine to get fixed on the road once. And... Um, I went and got it while we were in town and he, and he, I played it. It sounded great. And I go, I said, what did you do? He goes, I cleaned it. Hmm. That'll be, that'll be 400 bucks. I went, well, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to learn to do this myself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to clean the amplifier. So, I mean, one thing led to another and I'm just fascinated with how things work. I, I, I am, you know, and building the, the LA two A's was, was a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. I, I, I think I've sold like 12 of them and I have two of them in my studio it's so much and what motivated what motivated me for that as well was i was determined to see the needle go backwards right you know yeah, like it does on a compressor i thought you know <laughs> let's see if we can make this happen and and in, <laughs> the nature of an la2a is that the louder you turn it up the more it kind of distorts right so i thought well hey i can do that you know <laughs> it's interesting so that's what got me into it okay so it was uh, that that's interesting because like uh i don't know me my my dad really dove into building amps like building like mm -hmm. these model like these uh these uh um sets he's been ordering off the off the internet of all tube amps and like uh it was like it all came from us trying to figure out how to fix an old marshall that was that was busted and it was like half digital half uh half tube right so like part of it was like approachable and the other part was like what's going on <laughs> like Oh, yeah, right. well, that's the thing is like, I mean, um, you know, uh, um, uh, solid state electronics, I mean, you know, transistors, it, it's such a different ball game. It, it's, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, tubes, tubes are fairly easy. They're kind of, once you understand it, it's kind of like plumbing, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it comes in and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it's kind of easy to, easier to figure out. Transistors, on the other hand, they, you know, because one can be used for so many different things. And it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a bit more, yeah, but that's what got you into it. I mean, yeah, because once you have a problem like that, then, you know, you, you get curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, and it's, and then it gets, like you say, like how you described, it gets to be fun, and then you can, like, figure out, like, it's it's interesting that some of these really quintessential tools are pretty simple things, you know? Yeah, but you know what always fascinates me? What's that? It's whoever, whomever thought of it first. Right. That's what really yeah. gets me is like, why, how could they realize that this would happen? I mean, that's what I, that's where I find the real genius. You know, it's like, okay, that person actually came up with the, with the circuit and goes, okay, well, this is going to keep the radio station from blowing up because we're going to limit the sound. So it won't you know, like send all this voltage to the um, transmitter, et cetera. You know, it's like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is fascinating. Like the, the first one, because after that, everything's changed to some degree. And after that, that becomes standard and like, everything builds off it yeah um, exactly but yeah and, and like uh sorry no go on go on i was gonna say with digital it's like when you are like when you, not that there's anything wrong with those tools but when you get into like looking at it just how you described like aside from that also all the components are so small it's like you can't unsolder or resolder or anything without without it burning the board <laughs> yeah they're, i mean they're they're smaller and smaller and smaller all the time which i mean uh, I don't know about that, you know, that path 
I mean, because, I mean, I was always taught that, I mean, well, it's, you know, everyone's listening to lower fidelity things now anyway with MP3s and all that. But, I mean, it's the physics of, you know, being able to transmit electrons that give you the oomph and, and a lot of tube amps, you know. So if you make it smaller and smaller and smaller, you can design the circuit, like Bose speak, speakers are a perfect example. You can design a circuit so it sounds bigger, but it's, I mean, it sounds bigger by adding more low end and more bass, but it's not really, you know, uniformly louder you know uh yeah i have i have a, I have a huge problem with that i mean <laughs> um I, I hear this and especially with mp3s you know it's like i mean getting back to teaching i taught them that too it's like you know you can't use mp3s in your movie i mean i know it's hard for you because a lot of sites that's all they have but you know it's einstein's you know law laws of, um, of energy it's like you know what was 40 megs is now eight megs so they've cut out all that information in the low end and the high end so that you're not hearing it. You think you're hearing it. You're hearing like semblances of it, but not really. You know? mm. Yeah, I mean that's just yeah. I don't know. It's, that's my own my own pet peeve, as it were. Um, yeah, I mean. I was gonna say. Well, so, what do you guys typically use? Like Wave. Like, I'm trying to think. What's the bigger, bigger? Yeah, wave, wave, wave or AIFF. No one really uses AIFF anymore because it was a, a, a um, Apple. Um, coding, but mm. I mean, everybody uses wave, so wave files, yes, okay. wave files, you know. I mean, and sometimes you know, you have to, and people say, Well, can I transfer an MP3 to a wave? But yes, but just it's like starting with a dirty windshield, okay, yeah. <laughs> and it's it'll always be dirty. I mean, regardless <laughs> of how much light you shine through it. So, like, diving into like when did like re the recording experience, like, what was your first time recording? Was it with the Voidoids? Um, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, when I was in England, I mean, I came in once to a recording session and um, banged on a tambourine, which is kind of a vague memory. But that, and, and, and actually making a record. Um, yes. I mean, that, that was the first time, and especially at the studio called Bell Sound that was on somewhere in the 30s in Manhattan where the Shangri-Las worked, you know, Ooh, and, and it didn't yeah. have faders. It didn't have faders. It had knobs. Wow, cool yeah <laughs> yeah i think it was an a track or something like that and it had that first single we did with yeah it had it had like these giant what's what are called rca knobs these baker like knobs for um you know for the levels and yeah that that was that was my first experience I mean, it was funny thinking of that because i every day i would ask the engineer for acetates i mean having no idea what they cost <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like well, i can get one of those yeah you know so but um anyway so that was my first experience and like, was diving like doing that? Did did, did is that where the fascinating the fascination started for yourself to want to do it on your own, or was it kind of just the needs to to do music and to be fully immersed in it? This is an aspect of it, and I can't not. This is how this is how it's made. Yeah, well, because I've always been fascinated with how records are made. I mean, you know, it's like what drew me what pretty much what drew me to rock and roll was the snare sound and i can't get no satisfaction yeah i just i just heard and i just heard that and went wow i mean like it's there's something about the way that was recorded that just like you know, led me on and um i realized also after you know working with the photoids that so many times these engineers were not musical mm. and their answer and response was always no we can't do that <laughs> So I thought I'm gonna put myself in a position where it's gonna be yes, we will do that, you know. Yeah. And, and when bands come in my studio, I'm gonna say something completely preposterous. I always say, well, let's try it and see what happens, you know. <laughs> it, it just just might work. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, like when you're in that in that seat of a producer. Not only are you like an engineer in in, in the whole sonic aspect, but you're also kind of like a uh, a therapist in a way, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. Your job is to make everybody happy. Right. You know, I mean, it's it, and um, and you're the one you, I'm, you're like on the other side of the fence. You're the one that the band makes fun of as opposed to you doing it the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally get that. <laughs> yeah. So which which and wait, and it kind of just rolls off my back because I've been the, been on that side. too. It's like, OK, have fun, guys, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me mix this up for you. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's a it's a tricky seat to be in because like with that red that red light button for some people it takes a, a, a immense amount of a uh, of mental regaming or mental uh, organization to get past to get the right take. 
it's um, funny you should say that because I, I I've been working with this guitar player and his name I won't mention. I mean, he's not that famous, but anyway, and he's brilliant. I, I mean, the other day I, I was like, I stood outside the room so I wouldn't disturb what he was doing. And he's just mm-hmm. brilliant. The moment the record light comes on, he just loses it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I totally know. <laughs> I've been in that spot a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, you know, it, it is, it is stressful because you know, I mean, depending on how many people are hanging around, they want to get on with it, and you want to do the best you can. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is, it is. Yeah, depending on the band, but it, it can be very stressful, you know. Unless you just like go, hey, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm doing today. That's what I learned from jazz, actually, because I, I you know, my father listened to jazz. I wasn't really a really big jazz fan until later on, but basically, what they do is document. Right. Everybody plays, and they just record it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they they pick the best one out of the batch, but it's in. You're right. It's interesting. It's just, just like they go in and document. It's a it's a demo almost every time. <laughs> like yeah, high expertise, but <laughs> but that's a, yeah. But it's not like it's not so clinical, right? And being um, you know, overdubs and you know, separated and all that. It's just you know, just play. Right. Right. Kind of like, well, uh, like a lot of the early rock and roll records, too, like the specialty records, all that little Richard stuff is like that. You can, you can hear the room pulsating, you know, it's so great. That's, it's, you know, it's interesting too with like something like a, when you, when they, when the, like they'll put giant steps out with all the, all the other takes and you see all the other takes and you go through and listen to them and see why, to try to figure out why, why they go with this one. You know what I mean? Like this one's good too. And like, uh, it's a, but you know that mind that mindset of this is just a a day in the life this is just a diary entry i imagine that that cures a lot of that kind of like uh red light fever or you know that that um uh, that nervousness that may come from having to jump into it and be like this is it the final draft i'm composing it now <laughs> exactly and it's all up to you or me yeah. you know it's like <laughs> yeah i know i know and I guess you know the overdub stuff is pretty sweet now. Like can, when you listen to like what what uh, like like uh, like what Coltrane and, and Miles and everyone like back in the day they had to do everything once. The idea of an overdub is such a like a miracle. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it's true. I mean, like I said before about about having four bass players, it's like you know, I mean, generally you record the basics with the bass and drums, but it just wasn't working like that. And I had to, to have the bass player come in and play over something that you know was already there. So and there's so with with uh with your record jumping into like I imagine it was all done in your studio. Did you like how did you start? Did you like have a like a, a demo track and built it up or was this recorded as one big group? Like both. Yeah. Both. Okay. Yeah, both. I mean, I actually I mean between you and I, well I guess it's not anymore. I actually <laughs> threw some stuff in I threw some stuff in from a four track cassette player. Yeah. You know. And, and and miraculously, with some tinkering, it, it worked out. I mean, not not a whole song, but like the parts or, or something like that. You know, I I mean, I, I found the more I, I listen and I read liner notes, records are made all kinds of ways. You know, I mean, generally, I mean, especially with like, you know, bands, you think, oh, it's just a core band performing. Usually there's like, you know, four or five other people on it that are really making the record, you know, come to life and all that. So, um, yeah, it was, but it was all done in my studio. And like, cause like I, I saw the, the, the documentary where it shows the clip of, uh, everyone recording, um, swing your lant, swing your lantern low, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And was like, so I imagine that one was recorded as a, as a group like that, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those, yeah. those, those, uh, the clips where you guys are singing the harmonies, I'm like, uh, if I, I I know personally with me like I have the hardest time with harmonies. It takes me forever to get them. So I was like that session right there, that clip I'm watching now, I would have messed up so much. <laughs> like, that would have taken me quite a few times, especially with someone else in the room. But then again, you have someone to feed off of. So yeah, I mean, um, I don't remember how many times we did that before they actually shot it. <laughs> You know, so it could have been like that too. I know that wasn't the first take that you're seeing in the movie. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. With that one, so that one was a one you recorded for someone else, right? Yeah, um, Will Will Croxton. He's like a, a writer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, 
and actually, I mean, I, I, I played on it um, with for his band um, uh, uh, not too long ago. And then I said, we're going to put this on the record. Okay. So we're going to like, you know, kind of change some things around. We're going to put this on the record. Yeah. And, and Will sings on it too, which makes it, you know, it makes it um, super cool. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's a full tune. Another one that kind of bounced off the idea with the, the going with the cartoon with the kind of disco feel was, um, um, not love affair. Um, cut me loose. Cut me loose. That one was like I love how on like this record and the last one you bounce to all these different genres, but they all seem very like potent to you. Um, with "Cut Me Loose," was that kind of the same uh, same approach, or was that different? Um, sometimes when I write, I model after songs. Okay. Okay. And there was a song by Ian Dury called "Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick." Mm, okay and yeah, I, yeah. I did, and i always thought i want to write a song like that because when i heard it when it came out it's like it just kind of blew me away i was over in england and went, wow this is amazing you know and um <clears throat> actually got to meet him he's really he, he was a really cool guy um but um yeah i thought I, I want a song like that you know that kind of moves like that and then life's experiences <clears throat> filled in the rest was it in one another one like on your last record that was kind of baffling me was uh broken butterflies like oh the Lucinda Williams song yeah but that guitar tone you get what is that um what, what, let me think back to that um that was a, a there's this company called Hanson that makes yeah. guitars out of Chicago okay and that was something on um, uh one of the guitars called the Chicagoan okay hmm. and it was run through a magnetone amp with a slide okay and like it seemed like. Because there was that warble in it, it, like it beautifully brought out the idea of this broken butterfly. I was like, "That's sonically such a beautiful like um, uh, illustration of that." And like, it's like, how is he getting that that sound? Interesting. I've never heard of yeah. that guitar. That's cool. Yeah, I, I have. I, I have. A, I have a couple of them. They make really great guitars. Actually, they make a twelve string. Yeah. That's the best twelve string I've ever played. Because um, um, I, I Fender made me a, a Telecaster twelve string and. It's okay. I mean, it, it's actually great, but um, a lot of twelve strings have problems with the neck, whether they're either too big or too small. And this yeah. one just fits, just like a real, you know, guitar. And t the tones that come out of it are really great too. Yes, I, yeah. I play a lot of twelve strings. I got a uh, my band will will take a twelve strings and I'll run it through a Marshall. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Um, but um, it's an acoustic body. Um, but like, it's interesting. Like, I, it's there's always something like I don't know. Like I always. Uh, I keep losing like a. I got rid of the second G because it's like the third E, right? And that's like a good landmark. But like, it's in, it's a weird that how you describe that twelve string problem is definitely it's weird that that is, but that it makes sense with like how much is going on on one guitar, you know? Yeah, you mean you got rid of the the, the small the octave G? Yeah. And just yeah, well, that's hard it. to keep in tune, and it breaks and everything as well, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, and part of it was like I I, I was using the Tim Armstrong's acoustic, and it broke off, and it had it has one of those rack tuning things, you know, like a rack set of tuners. So it, mm -hmm. it fell off at a gig, and the, the 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 screw came loose, and I lost the whole the whole part. And I'm like, well, oh, oh crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, oh well, well maybe it's destiny. You know? Yeah, this is how I'll do it now. <laughs> <laughs> there was a press release. Um, I'm go I could go on way back in history. Um, about Jethro Tull when Aqualon came out, about how um, Martin Barr, I think it's his name, yeah, um, used a nine-string guitar, which is a 12-string with three strings missing. <laughs> I, that sounds like something some, someone made up in the office, but I, I don't know. Maybe it was true. I don't know. Was, that's funny. That's Well, you know, like, <laughs> you're looking at that, and you're like, how many are there? And, like, now they have, like, those, like, those bigger necks where they go up the eight and nine strings, and they go lower an octave, you know? Oh yeah, I know. I know. You ever mess with those? No, I, I haven't. I haven't come across one. I see them. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a. You know, I'm not a purist. I mean, I, I like. I, I like especially, um, you know, crappy, um, <clears throat> um, Tysco guitars and stuff like that. I like, I like all kinds of stuff. But, um, I, I have. I haven't seen that. I remember once going into Manny's music store and, and they had this new Gibson Les Paul that tuned itself. <laughs> yeah, those are wild. Those are yeah. crazy. So I said, okay, can you make it open G? He goes, yeah, sure. He pushes this button and, and all the strings pop off. <laughs> <laughs>
too open. <laughs> yeah, you're really, really too open, exactly. <laughs> I remember seeing one of those at Guitar Center in Ohio when that started to be a thing, and it was like it's like the next like extra heavy. <laughs> you know, it's like each tuning peg had a battery. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I mean, come on, it's like <laughs> just tune it. It's cool. I get it. Like, it's pretty. It's pretty wicked to push a button and it does that, but. Um, I don't know. Like, and then those eight and nine strings, I just can't get a hold on those. You know what I mean? Like, I'm you get so same with five string basses. You know, it's it's such like a, it's extra, it's bigger, and it's like you can do more, and it opens up that sound wave. But it's like you spend so much time learning how to make this set of notes, like or this set of options, be your opportune like most expression out of it. it to me, like it just throws me. I'm like, I don't know what to do yet. <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to look up this guitar because I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever, ever like you know, actually seen one. Yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. I have, to, I have to look it up and see that. I mean, basses I understand I because I mean, you know, when I, sometimes you want a bass player to get lower than they can get, and like you know, people that know what they're doing kind of just unleash this clip, and all of a sudden we have a low D down there, which is great. Yeah. I mean, but, but a, a nine-string guitar, I gotta, I gotta see what's up with this. I can't remember what brand it is. A lot of metal guys use it. They'll use nine or eight. Or like you know, like seven strings too. It's like they get to like, and it's a lot of the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like. That, oh, oh yeah, that yeah, that kind of guar thing. I, I I get it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe that would make sense because I mean, you would definitely get that. You know. Yeah. You get, yeah. You ever mess with a baritone guitar? Oh uh, yeah, I have one. I have, I have a, uh, actually a Tysco baritone. Is is there baritone? There's baritone on the last album. I don't think I put one on this one. Because I try stuff like that to have lying around. I thought, okay, we got to find a use for you somewhere because, you know, you're a baritone. And it, <laughs> it's pretty sick. <laughs> no, I, I like, and it, it, that too takes some getting used to. Like, I mean, yeah. where to play it on the neck. So, it, you know, because you don't want to play it too high because then it just sounds like a normal guitar. Right. You know, what key to play it in. Yeah. And it throws off everything because you're like, oh, this is, this should be A, but it's actually E. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I got one of those out of the trash. <laughs> it was it was chucked at Guitar Center and me and my dad patched it up. Like Oh cool. Resoldered it, glued it all back together, windled it down. <laughs> like it was <laughs> it's pretty What kind of what kind of Squire. Was it? Squire. A Squire. Yeah. Really? Squire Telly, yeah. <laughs> you know wow. You know yeah. you know Bob Klein, also from, you know, yeah. Akron or Cleveland, yeah. He, you know, had all Squire guitars. He had like yeah. a, a lot of guitars. But he he's not a guy that would go out and buy like you know a '63 Strat or a '57 or something like that. He would go down and, and get three like Squires because he he thought they were amazing and great. I think you know it's really who's playing it and like how you use it. Like you can make anything sound good if you want to, you know. And That's true. And if you put enough time, I guess there is some limitations. There's definitely okay. There's definitely limitations at one point. But like if you're willing to put in some TLC, you can make. You can make anything sound okay. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. And like, it's like it's you get a nice guitar, and like if you play it a lot, you're just you're just beating it up. You know, I have one good guitar that sounds like I got a Gibson SG that I I don't play anymore because the frets are all flat. (laughs) You know, and I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's you got to find a guy to help you with that, or like at least with i'm not good with frets I'm, i'd be afraid to do no that. i don't do frets either i always take take it to somebody and, and actually anytime i've had a guitar refretted when i get it back i'm like ew it doesn't <laughs> feel right you know then yeah. after like a week or two then it starts to feel better again but yeah i i i, I can't um um i can't even entertain going there <laughs> do you do a lot of your own guitar work as well as far as like setting up and like yeah i do the intonation and you know any kind of electrical thing um i once i even had in my main strat one of the pickup windings, you know, the tiny, tiny wires yeah. had broken loose. Ugh. And I, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, I, I kind of calmed down and, you know, and sat there and soldered it back on. And it worked. I was amazed. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but it ain't, but anything to do with like the, you know, the finish or the fretboard or anything like that, I, I just like, um, you know, pass it on to someone that really knows what they're doing. Because it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an art and a science. It is. And like, um, there's so much that goes into it and like, and knowing what you like as far as like a a setup and like trying to gauge those numbers on that and like relatively what can this tool do? What can this guitar accomplish that's close to that? And then what does it need to not buzz or, 
know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a science. One thing, another thing I wanted to ask was, um, when the Voidoids recorded uh, in Electroland St- Electric Ladyland Studios, you all, like, so that was like your first experience there, but then you came back and uh, you knew Topper, right? With the, uh, from the clown? Oh, yeah, 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 I knew Topper, yeah. And recorded with them there as well. Like, it's one thing I would imagine would be interesting, aside from like both those experiences, is how are they kind of different? How did like uh, the studio there appro- uh, approach working with the uh, the Clash compared to like with the Voidoids? Like, well, it's kind of the same, which is why people go there. It's like basically when you're there, you're running out the space, okay. so you can do you can do whatever you want. I remember the but the um, house, not the engineer, but the um, I guess the uh, electronics engineer kept coming in and screaming at our engineer for blowing up the power amps, you know? Um, but, um, and, but yeah, I mean, it was just kind of our space, but with, with, but with the clash, you got the more sense that like they, they camped out there for like a month, mm. you know? So there wasn't any kind of like kind of um, regimented time thing. We're like, okay, wait, let's get this done. Let's get this done. It's like, they were just there, you know, and then this was not their first album. So like, you know, you know, sit around and talk, do whatever. And it was, that was their house for a month. God. So lack, not as much stress. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, definitely not, you know, because even the song I played on the, the call up and that it's like, it was just a jam, you know, they started doing this thing and I said, give me, give me a guitar. Joe Gray gave me his guitar and that ended up being the single. That's so it wasn't it. like yeah. okay, okay, we're cool. and that's I think a lot of that album was like that. It was just they had friends come in and jam, and then maybe uh, yeah, and then that became the single. That like uh, kind of like is it seems like with a Sandinista going from a um, combat rock, rock, there was like this like uh, looseness nearing the ha- second half of combat rock, which like I think brought up some of the most unique and cool stuff from the Clash. Um, so like you met, how'd you meet Topper? Was that touring with them or was that before? That was before. Um, I met Topper at a rehearsal studio in London called Manny's Rehearsal Studio. And I'd gone over to London to like just find a band to play with because, you know, I was young and, and um, brave slash stupid, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. um and so I'm there. I mean, and someone directly to the studio and, and the guy was really nice about just sit here. You know, a band will come in and a band will like, you know, need a guitar player and you can play with them. And that's exactly what happened. And, huh. and the band was, was the foundations. But while I was waiting there, Topper was re- rehearsing there with um, this um, a blues guitarist called his name was Gary Moore. Mm. You know, and um, so Topper and I just started talking, you know, I mean, and like, you know, we just kind of you know, light conversation, blah, 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 every time, you know, every time he came in. And um, so then. Uh, two years or so later when you know i go over with richard and in the void and we're opening for the clash i look up on stage and there's topper playing drums you know yeah so yeah it's just kind of um you know one of those coincidences that's great so so they're just like sit here someone's gonna come looking for a guitar player be ready (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. i mean and i i had very few options because I'm, i'm putting ads in melody maker i'm answering ads and stuff like that and um you know, I mean, nothing's really panning out. So um, this was just a, a real stroke of luck that um, I met um, these people at this town and country pub. And I said, OK, um, we're going to take you tomorrow morning to this rehearsal studio and you we'll try to sort you out. And yeah, it, I mean, just it just happened like that. It was great. Wow. And like with the foundations, like did they have the hit already? Was Build Me Up? Better oh, yes. Out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was told to tell tell everyone I was an original member. But I said, guys, like I was 11 when that song came out. It's like <laughs> <laughs> nobody's gonna believe that. You know? <laughs> yeah, they they had that. They had um, "Baby Now That I Found You." They had "Build Me Up Buttercup," and they also had a couple of hits in South America as well. Um, I think it was called "Bad Battle Days." Yeah, so they they they, and and that was definitely <clears throat> music 101, touring 101. That's I just learned so much from them, and like you know just you know. Songwriting 101, all all that stuff. I, I mean, it's just like kind of this, like kept, you know, because they were like a good ten years older than me, and they kind of whipped me into shape, you know. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Like the jump right into it. Like, so what were some of those like kind of like, I guess lessons from from those like 
I mean, I guess being exposed to it for the first time and seeing how it works is is the best way to 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 learn. It's like going back to like kind of a the uh, the sound producing lesson from earlier, just doing it and adding sounds to the scene um, or, or scoring the scene. Um, but like, as far as like being in a group like this that has been around for a while, like what what did songwriting look like? Did someone bring a tune and like you guys build on it? Or... Well, see, no, no, this this was the problem because they had already written the songs. Okay, oh, okay the songs okay, are okay. already written, and that's why okay. I didn't stay with them for more than like a, a, about seven or eight months or so because I wanted to write songs, I wanted to make records, and I wanted to write write songs in order to be part of the songwriting process. Got it. And what they did was tour seventeen days a, a week. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it was like nonstop, yeah. nonstop. You know, I mean, we we would get home at like five in the morning from being up north somewhere. And then the phone would ring, and you know they were he, the, the lead singer. He was from Barbados, and he goes, "Ivan, man, come on, get in the van, man. Time to go." Okay, it's like what? And wait, I'm just going to sleep. He's like, you know. So yeah, they they really, I mean, they really toured a lot. Yeah, well, you, you had to do that, like you know, you have to hustle it. But like, man, that's a, like that'd be exhausting. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, but then again, you know, as someone once said, it's your dream, live it. Right, so, I mean, right. yeah, I, I was over there to do that. I mean, I, I never complained. I mean, I was, I was playing, you know, in, in, a, in a band like every night. And, and, and their, their touring schedule was weird because sometimes we'd be playing supper theaters, dinner theaters. Mm -hmm. Then we'd play a theater and like a proper theater. And then we'd play like um, a disco. And then we'd play someplace that I can only describe as a moat, you know, where I, I had the, my Dan Armstrong at the time, the clear guitar. Yeah. And it like literally fogged up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so yeah, so but but you know that's what that's that's what they did. You know, they're probably still doing it now. Was it, and I imagine to like to be in each one of those rooms and learn how they work and learn how to like work each crowd in each room as an act. Like that, if anything, that that'd be like a great lesson within itself. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, and that was the first time actually I'd played the band where people were familiar with the original songs that you had. You know what I mean? So yeah. they had that going for them. That like, okay, regardless of what else was happening, when we, we went to build me a buttercup and that whole medley, then like, you know, people were, you know, they, they, they loved it, you know? I mean, and it's also like, I mean, like when I remember the rehearsal when they were showing me the songs, because I had like, like two or three days to get this together, the whole set. And, you know, the keyboard players like, you know, doing these like major sevenths and, um, you know, I don't know, um, minor six and shit <laughs> <laughs> you know this is someone that was raised on you know chuck berry and keith richards is like what you know it's like uh, so but i you know i figured it out the music theory paid off and um yeah and just it, it was a lesson in how they used it you know how, how you know like there would be many chord progressions <clears throat> like there isn't build me a buttercup like um the major to the seventh to the four and then to the four minor that, you know, like uh, you realize so many people use that. Right. Yeah. You know? oh, the the, the, that has a lot of chords moving in it. Any, you just in general, each part, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's like basically three or four songs all on in the same, you know, <laughs> within, within, within that song. I mean, but then again, luckily I trained myself or, you know, or I guess you could say train myself as, as a guitar player, not a lead, not just a lead guitar player, but a guitar player that could do chords. Cause I thought chords are songs, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, cause you know, I, I heard people that could play really fast and everything. They go, well, yeah, that's nice. You know, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm more into something that actually, you know, helps develop the song. Right. Right. And like, that's a whole, like, I, I don't I don't think you can learn that skill set without that experience of being like being a part of a group and seeing how yeah, you can true. support this group and wanting to do that. Because like yeah. I get you know, I, I imagine sometimes a lot of people want to jump out and just be look at me, you know, which is cool. Yeah. But you're never going to get too far <laughs> unless you. Well, you know, people can only look at you for so long and then they're yeah. bored, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, or you don't know what to do. <laughs> like yeah four minutes can be a long time you know <laughs> like, oh god it can be an eternity sometimes <laughs> <laughs> been there too <laughs> um so so you see topper on stage and then um 
like we, you, you also toured with the clash right well we uh, no i mean the void is open for them oh, and okay. i think it was like a, give them enough rope tour i think that's what it was called um yeah but we, we opened they they'd heard our single and um and they might even have heard the album as well but then yeah they, they might have heard that the, the entire album and they were they were fans of the band so they wanted us to open for them on on this tour okay cool so like like uh, kind of jump in with the songwriting with a uh, with the voidoids that was like that was a joint like as far as like songwriting went right it was you and richard and the or was, it, or was it just you two like trading ideas back and forth or how well i mean it, it it was it was i mean it, it, arrangement wise bob had a lot to do with it you know okay. i mean to, yeah. unless unless it was a song i brought in because then i had like you know had things that i wanted to happen but mainly it was richard and i Okay. You know, I mean, and Richard would go, we need another song. I mean, I, as far as like blank generation, he goes, we need an intro. And right. I just sat there. I mean, I, once again, it just kind of came to me. And I actually, I, I, I mean, I've told the story before, but I was at the time I was listening to The Seeker by The Who. Okay. Oh, and it's r- roughly yeah. based on that, even though it's not that. It's like, yeah. you know, it's kind of roughly based on that. So then that became the intro to blank generation. I mean. I, you know, I like coming up with things, and, and you know, um, and yeah, and I, like I said, once again, the chord thing as well. Yeah, no, because I think that definitely comes through with like a love comes in spurts. Like there's like a the between the two guitars, there's like the there's like the rock, there's that chord progression that's going kind of up in pitch, and then like there's someone doing like a kind of like a rock and roll, like kind of like uh i don't know that six movement thing I don't well know. You, you can call you can call it it's called the humpty dumpty or the chuck yeah. berry thing yeah the chuck berry yeah, thing. You know, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that was quine okay. quine didn't like playing rhythm that much even though when he did he was really great because that because i mean but anyway that was quine and i thought okay i'm gonna weave in and out of that you know mm-hmm. like i mean and, and kind of punctuate it and and we both believed in that as well because the yeah you know, our idea for the album was the Yardbirds, whereas like they're two guitar players, they're playing together, they're never playing the same thing on the neck, mm. you know. That's so cool. if you know, yeah. so whoever got there first, then the other <laughs> one would have to come up with something else, you know. That's cool, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it keeps it fun and exciting. And then it keeps that like who's lead guitar out of the question, like you know. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know. So I mean, it? that song I wrote called Liars Beware, it's yeah. like his rhythm part on that is perfect. It's like these really short chops. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you know, I can't really do this. Like, Bob, this is great. This is amazing. You know, it's like, yeah. Because I was going to ask, like, so it would be kind of like someone would have an idea. Like, would Richard have, like, a tune with a chord progression or would he just have melodies or, or written out uh, lyrics and then someone would bring something? Or was it kind of like the here's this, how can we make this better? Like a, the chunk of the tune. Well, I mean, aside from individual input, like I said, if I, if I wrote a song, generally what happened is Richard would come in with a bass part. Got it. <laughs> and then Bob and I would kind of try to make sense of it, you know, and and <laughs> and come up with parts, like I said, you know, that we're weaving together. But Richard would come up with a bass part. And then after that he would he would write the lyrics generally you know he might have some idea for it but i mean a lot of it was phonetics just like kind of screaming and yelping and then coming up with the words but yeah i mean when the bulk of the voice songs were richard's um coming in with with a bass line mm. i love his bass line on that yeah. song you gotta you gotta lose if you've ever heard that yeah yeah that's a yeah no it's a sick bass line um it's a, a um it's interesting coming from like, cause he was just starting bass at the time too, like, right? He was fairly new to the instrument coming from television, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and a lot of people criticize his bass playing because of of it, but that's one of the reasons I joined the band. I thought, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> you know, what's yeah. going on over there? <laughs> well, I think you know that's what makes like not knowing what's right or wrong is sometimes makes the best. Uh, musical and like artistic choice because of that you know like it's like with theory sometimes you learn all this theory to break it and you're like ah check that out i uh, i d- changed expectations aha like well yeah i could have done that too if i didn't know <laughs> you know yeah exactly no i i'm totally with you on that the, the best moments are when you have no idea what you're doing you know in in in, in the creative process anyway 
Oh, that's so cool. Um, so like one other uh, one other thing, I, I guess the ra- I, man, I really appreciate your time. I've been super, when Howard sent me this email, super excited to, to talk with you um, and pick your brain. Um, but to kind of wrap it, what are two like uh, what I guess what are two big lessons from like hanging out with guys like Joe Strummer and Richard Hell as far as like musically, philosophically, or um, humility. I think both of yeah. them have that, believe it or not. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I say believe it or not, I'm more referring to Richard. I mean, but <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both kind of humble in a way, you know, I mean, and um, yeah, I mean, and it, it, they were in a position where they, you know, they didn't have to be necessarily. And, and Joe, Joe as well. Joe just looked at himself as an average guy. He's writing songs, you know, he has, you know, some political beliefs and um yeah, I mean, those, those, those humility. It's like you got you got to be humble. You know, you got to think, okay, um, I can always get better. I can always learn more, and that's what I'm trying to do. That's well said. Was it a one? And also, on a side note, to know the mystery of how Ivan met GI Joe, really like <laughs> it was cool to know because I've always wondered what that song was about. <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah, you know the story about Studio Fifty Four and all that, right? Well, uh, so like it kind of. Like I know well, it, I now mean, I know it's about you, but I don't know the whole like. <laughs> well, I mean, because prior to coming down to um, going over to Electric Ladyland, um, um, I had gone to Studio Fifty Four, and because it was it was way past its heyday, and you know it, everything was over. So I, I I'd never been here. I wanted to see what this place was all about. Um, so I go in and it's like I think it was a Tuesday night, and there's literally nobody there. You know, I mean, it's like maybe one or two other people. I'm like, what? <laughs> so then this bouncer starts chasing me, like following me around. I'm like, I finally go, what, what's up? What's your problem? Yeah. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm just checking you out. I go, man, go, go, go away. So then he starts to like go, well, what are you doing? And blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, so we got into this little um, verbal altercation. And um, that's how that. And, I, and so then I told when I went to the studio, I told the story to um, Mick and Joe. Okay. And then, yeah, and they kind of made it and they turned it into I didn't meet G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> I mean, not that, not that <laughs> interaction, but I mean, like the outcome of that this is pretty cool. Yeah, well, I, 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 even at the time, I found the interaction comical. It was like, I mean, you know, what, what am I going to do to yeah. anyone or anything here? You know, it's like, you know, I'm not. And so, yeah, it, it was, it's always, it's fun. That's awesome, man. Well, um and health wise have you been all good good i'm seeing i'm seeing my oncologist this week which is kind of weird but um because my thing is like i'd say as long as i can stay for stay away from the doctors i'm fine yeah but no my health is good i saw i saw her not not too long ago and you know the the health is good um um hopefully i'll be able to crawl into a van and freeze all winter (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah i saw you were playing with uh richard lloyd how'd that go Oh, that was great, actually. Yeah. It was good to see Richard again. Yeah, it's just club. It's funny. All the clubs in New York, pretty much, have moved out to Queens, which we never thought would happen, huh. or this far extension of of um, Brooklyn called Bushwick, because no one can afford the real estate in you know Manhattan anymore. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, it was it was at this club out there, and it was it was a cool club and everything, and you know, Richard played and I played and he said hello, and you know, he he was playing. He played great too. He's he's really still he still got it. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you plan to come out this way to Cleveland at all? Um, that's what I'm trying to organize now, like along with this record coming out. Yes. Right. I, yes. I mean, I'm sure that, that will be a stop on the way. So when it, when it happens, I'll be sure to t- contact you and let you know, okay? Yeah, please do. Yeah. I love that. I would love yeah. to see, it, see I, it in person. Yeah, because I don't know what, what – it's probably going to be what I call the Magnificent Three. Yeah. It, that's the name of my band because, I mean, that it was like um, – um, drummer bass player and guitar player and myself but generally the band is like seven people well yeah like listening to some of these arrangements that makes sense yeah um, yeah so th- that was the first time we tried it with the you know with this stripped down band and it sounded okay it sounded it sounded good but you know usually there's backup singers and there's, a, there's another um piano player organ player and that kind of thing so we'll see what happens you know yeah yeah well i mean you can't like it's hard. It's hard to tour with like seven people, <laughs> you know. Three. Well, these days, yeah. I mean, unless I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I get, I get funding from somebody here, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it it is. Besides that, you know, everyone I know are are adults, 
meaning yeah. they need they need their own room. Right. Two, right. two of them are women, so they definitely need their own room. Right. You know, so I mean, yeah, so I mean, it, we'll, I, I, it's um, um, I don't know, it's ambitious of me to try to think I can take them uh, out, but I think what will happen is that will only be local, and then I'll just travel with the four. You know, and it still sounds good. I, I mean, I, I heard a video, I saw a video of it, and I was, I was amazed. It's like, you know, you know, the, I, the drummer we're using is this guy Steve Goulding, yeah. who played who played drums on Watching the Detective. Oh, okay. He's great. He's great. He really is. Was it, cool. Is the bass guy that you recorded with the guy that would be going on the road with you? Yeah, yeah. Very He's cool. the one who plays the bass on Cut Me Loose. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like I, I had different bass players for this. Like I said, yeah, I mean, you're saying at the top, like with the with the other track having four different guys, I was like, which one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whomever can do it best, you know. I mean, yeah, there's one track I had someone play that like was a novice drummer because all the drummers wanted to hit cymbals and do all this other stuff, and I just wanted wanted a straight beat, you know. Don't, you know. So yeah, so you know, we'll we'll see what happens here. Very cool. Awesome, Ivan. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time and getting to dive into your, your career and pick your mind about it. This has been awesome. Um, cool. It was great talking with you, Dave. Thanks, man.